We're starting a brand new series today called The Hall of Faith. And uh, it's a little play on words, kind of Hall of Fame. And if you read um, specifically in Hebrews chapter 11 and 12, it talks a lot about these great Bible characters that were inside of scripture. And I don't know about you, but you know, growing up, I would grow up in church. Um, but even if you didn't grow up in church, you'll hear about some of these great characters like Moses and David and Abraham. And you, you think you know about them, but we really don't know a whole lot about them if we're honest. Like we don't really deep dig dive, you know, deep into the scriptures about who they were. And there's a lot that they have to teach us. And so uh, we're going to talk today. Um, uh, we're going to start with, with our first kind of Bible character, and we're going to talk about Moses. And um, a lot of people think they know who Moses was because y'all saw the movie. And um, But but we're, but we're going to talk about it, like what the Bible actually says about him. And the premise of the series, here's the premise, is if you were to sit down and to talk with one of these heroes of the faith, like, what would they say? Like, I kind of wrote that in my Bible. Like, I wonder what, like, I wonder what Moses would say. I wonder what David would say. I wonder what Rebecca would say. I wonder what, you know, like Mary would say. I wonder what, if they could leave us with one word, what would they say? That's kind of the premise of this series. So we're going to talk today a little bit about that. If you have your Bibles, Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 is where we're going to be. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to read 11 verses, and I'm a fast talker, so don't worry, we'll get through it quick. And, um, but before we do that, I want to give you some context to kind of what's happening in Exodus. Um, the, the people of Israel at this point were, were given a promise through Abraham that God was going to bless him, bless his people. Uh, the only problem is, is that life tends to happen. Have you ever had that in your life where you felt like you got a promise from God and then it didn't work out the way you thought? And, and, and that happened to Moses. And so, so this, this, this Egyptian king... And Pharaoh comes in and enslaves these, these people. And um, he puts them in chains primarily because they were, they were having, this is legitimate, like you need to go read the Bible, it's pretty funny. Like they were having so many babies so fast that Pharaoh got nervous because he's like, wow, like we got these people that are under our thumb and they're starting to multiply and they're multiplying faster than we are. And before we know it, they're going to take us over. So we need to keep that under wraps. And the only time that, the only, the only way that in their minds he thought to do that was to kill all the baby boys of the Jewish people. And so Pharaoh tried killing all these boys out of fear. And, and so Moses' mom has Moses and she gets scared. So she keeps him for three months and hides him. But then he gets to a point where she can't hide him anymore. And so she does the last ditch effort as a mom. She puts Moses in this basket and sends him down the Nile River. Well, at the end of the river, Pharaoh's daughter was, uh, she was bathing at the time. And she saw this baby come with her servants. And she says, go get that baby. She grabs a baby and she takes care of the baby. And she winds up raising the baby in the palace. That's Pharaoh, like Pharaoh's house. And this is, this is Moses. And then um, one day, Moses sees this guy, this Egyptian beating up and abusing uh, a, a Hebrew slave at the time. And Moses gets mad and kills him. And then he takes off because he knows, like, I'm going to be in trouble. Now I'm in, now, now, now I'm in trouble. And he leaves to this place called Midian. We pick it up in uh, chapter 3, verse 1, where Moses is now in Midian. And we kind of understand that's kind of where he's at. And he's, he's now a shepherd, and he's been there for 40 years, okay? So Moses lived 40 years, kills that guy. Now he's in Midian for 40 years. This is important because we're all going to wrap this up in just a minute. So he's there, and he's now 80 years old, okay? So 
This is so good for those of you who are like, you know, maybe empty nesters, maybe you got a little bit of that gray going, a little salt and pepper hair, and you're like, do I have a purpose? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. Okay, yeah, the answer is yes. God's not done with you. And Moses shows us why. So chapter three, verse one, everybody say, I got it. Everybody say, I'm with you. All right. It says this, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. This is that story of the burning bush. So y'all are talking about it. You know, ever heard about it. And Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but it did not burn up. And so Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush did not burn up. And when the Lord saw that, that he had gone over to look, God called him within the bush and said, Moses, hey, uh, I'm right here. He said, don't come any closer. Take off your feet. Take off your sandals. Can't take off your feet. That's weird. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am God, your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into the good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey and iPhones and TVs and money. It's going to be great and big houses and, you know, just food everywhere, no calories. And the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, the Ites, and now the cry of the Israelites have reached me and I've seen the way of the Egyptians oppressing them. And so now, so now here's what I want you to do. This is an important lesson for you. This is, this is even in my notes, but this is just good for you to understand how God works. If God sees a problem and you ask God to help, here's what he does. So now I'm sending you. So... I know our hope is that God would do miracles. And he's like, God, like, yeah, I need you to give me more money. I said, okay. Well, I'm going to send you. I know like, and in our minds, we're like, God, just add a zero to my bank account. That's all I need. But God's saying, no, no, I got to send you. I use people. This is important because some of us are really waiting on God. You've been waiting on God for something and God's been waiting on you. He works with people. He uses people. So I'm going to send you to Pharaoh, bring my people out of Israel. People, my Israel's out, Israelites out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, well, who am I? I ain't nobody. I mean, I got a pass. I got some problems. And why should I go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? I mean, Moses had to deal with this interesting concept. We're going to talk a little about fear today. We're going to talk about fear and what it does to us in our lives. And with that as our backdrop, let's pray. Father, we love you, Lord. And I just thank you, God, for everything that you've done for us. I thank you that, Lord, in the midst of our struggle, you're there. I was listening to a song this morning that even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. And so my, my prayer is that uh, uh, however our church got here today, I, I just pray that you would work. That you would work. I'd get out of the way. And now, Lord, you, you, your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, 
Everybody said, amen, amen. I, um, I love football. Anybody like football in here? Anybody like football? Y'all like football? I miss it. I really do. You know, I'm in baseball season right now. I believe, honestly, baseball is my favorite sport, but football is a really great sport. And um, I grew up loving the New Orleans Saints. I don't know why. I'm not from New Orleans. Uh, any Houdat Nation in here that I could just one, two, three? Awesome. We're close enough to like, you know, the South area. So I feel like some people can kind of come by. But I love the Saints. I don't know why I like the Saints, but I've always loved the Saints. And I liked them when they were bad. I liked them when we used to wear paper bags on our heads. We were that bad as a football team. It was terrible. Anybody remember that? Like we were the, we weren't the saints. We were the ain'ts. Y'all remember that? Like we were the ain'ts. We couldn't do anything. And, and so then this guy, this, this like angel in, in human flesh shows up to our, 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 our football team. And his name was Drew Brees. He shows up and, and we take a, a shot. He had had a, a problem with his shoulder, and we needed a quarterback, and it was just a match made in heaven. He comes in and just completely changes the culture of our team. And so I really became a Drew Brees, Brees fan. You know, he was a Christian man, loves the Lord. I've actually met him uh, a couple of times. He's a good man, loves Jesus, really, really cool. And I'm going to tell you about one time when I actually got to meet Drew Brees. And so we, um, we, uh, I have a, so a couple of my pastors are chaplains for the New Orleans Saints. So I have the ability and I know some Saints players. And so I'm through them. So I'm able to get, if I ever want to go to a Saints game, I can go to the Saints game, but then I can also get on the field. And so it's kind of a cool little perk that I have as being a pastor. You know, it's like, okay, cool, if I ever want to go. So I decide I want to go to this trip. And so me and some friends get together, and we're going to go see uh, the Saints play. So we get on a, a, a plane, and I'm excited because I have never yet to this point met Drew Brees. I wanted to meet him and get my jersey signed. And so I'm excited to get my jersey signed. I'm excited to go meet him. We're going to get on the field. We get, we get there onto the, in the big old stadium, and we go, to, go into the VIP entrance. Come on, y'all. The VIP entrance. I don't know if you know anything about your pastor, but I love me some VIP entrances. And so I walk in, I'm like, well, that's me right there. I will walk through that door. And so I show them the pass. You get these cool passes that hang on your neck. I didn't even need to wear them. I wore them at Starbucks earlier that day. I just wore them around. I just didn't matter what it was. I'm just walking around VIP. So I walk in the door and we get to this side area and we get to this entrance where we, we walk out onto the field and, um, and, and it's, it's like amazing. And so do we have that jersey? Do, do we have it? Do we, do we have it? Hey, show, I'm going to show you this jersey real quick. So this is, this is my jersey that I got to show. Thank you. Thank you. Say, say what's up to Antonio. Say hi, Antonio. That's Antonio. That's my guy right there. Okay, so I got this jersey, right? And, I, and, and so look, I want you to see it, though. I, want, can you, I don't know if y'all can see it. That's his signature. So here's how I got this signature, though. This is important, okay, because I want to tell you this, this is important. So I get, I get into this thing, and we walk out the place, the doors open up, and it's, it's a coliseum. So, and and I, the first thing I do, and you obviously you know what you got to do, is you got to take a picture. And so I took my first picture. I'll show it to you. This is the first picture my wife and I were on the field. This is me and her. There's my boo, and then there's me right there, and we're excited. I got my Saints hat. I got my Saints jersey. This is pre-signed Saint jersey, and I'm walking right now there's no you see there's nobody in the stadium because we're VIP I want to make sure that's important you guys remember that very important person so I'm standing next to this line there's a bar up here and we're just watching these players and it's the kind of the scrub players playing it's the C team it's the practice squad but then the starting lineup starts running out and I'm waiting for Drew because I'm there I'm wearing Drew's jersey I am like I want to name one of my kids Drew I want to meet Drew Brees. So he doesn't run out. And it's all these players. And they're like, it's getting close to game time. And I'm like, well, maybe he's not going to come out early. And then 
it happened. He runs out, and that's him. I know y'all see him right there. That's him on the right side. I'm 10 feet from Drew Brees. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. I almost made a scene. Because like, but I thought in my head, you guys wouldn't appreciate local pastor gets dragged out of New Orleans Saints Stadium screaming, I love you, Drew Brees, you know what I mean? Like with a Rise Church shirt on. I didn't, I figured you wouldn't want that. So I held my composure and I just watched him play. Well, pretty soon Drew finishes up and he walks to the side of this area and he starts signing autographs. Well, I'm like, that's my time. And I don't, again, this is not your proudest moment as your pastor. This is not a prescriptive thing to do. This is a descriptive moment in my life. I walk over to the right and, you know, there's people in the way. And by people, I mean little kids and older people. (laughs) Now, a good Christian man would say, I'm going to wait in my turn to walk up and get my autograph. But I don't know how long Drew Brees is going to be there. I don't know if I'll ever have this chance again. And I, like a shark attacking a seal, my eyes go into the back of my head and I start breaking the barrier between little kids. I'm pushing little kids out of the way. I kick some old lady. I rolled some person in a wheelchair right out to the door. I said, excuse me. And I get up to Drew and I'm like, Drew, I love you. Drew looks at me and I get this picture. This is the picture I get from Drew. He, look how close I am. So I have my, I'm on my camera and I'm like, Drew, Drew, it's me. It's Aaron. Like he knows me. I don't, we don't, we've never met. I'm like, it's Aaron, Aaron Grijalva, San Antonio. He goes, oh, okay. And I said, can you sign my jersey? So he signs my jersey and, um, and he gets it like right here. And then I kind of tried to do this weird selfie picture and I don't have it because it didn't work. I tried to take a picture and I didn't know where I was taking the picture at. And I wound up taking a picture of somebody in the stands on the right side. And so he took, a, I missed the picture moment and I got out of it and I walked back. And I remember thinking like, like, this is so cool because I got a, a jersey. But, but my wife asked me later, she goes, hey, baby, I got, what was it like to meet Drew Brees? And I was like, thinking about it. And I was like, well, it's cool, but it wasn't quite what I thought it would be. Like it wasn't quite, um, like he was, can I give you some, like he was shorter than I thought he would be. (laughs) So I'm like, he's like, I was almost his height. Christian, come grab this. Like he was almost, he was almost my, like my height. He's kind of a shorter guy. And, and, um, he, if I'm honest, he kind of looked older than I thought he would look like, you know what I mean? I'm like, he didn't look as muscular as I thought a football player would look, you know what I mean? And, and can I be honest, he wasn't as nice as I thought he would be in that moment, you know? But it, it, you can't judge people in those moments because it's, it's kind of a lot going on. But he wasn't quite who I thought he would be, even though he was one of my, my heroes. And I've met him since then, and we, we had a fun conversation about it. But, um, and he's a, he's a good man. But it's interesting how when you think about these like famous people or celebrities, have you ever met a celebrity? Has it ever been quite what you thought it was? Not really, you know? And, and what's interesting about Moses is that um, if you were honest, he's probably not who you think he is. Like when I think of Moses, you wanna know what I think of? This is what I think of. When I think of Moses, this is what I think of. <laughs> like I think of this guy, I think Charlton Heston. I mean, I want you to look at this picture. Look at the jawline. You could see his jawline under his beard. I could see his six pack below his robe. This dude is the most confident, the most secure man I've ever seen. Look at those blue eyes. But, but if you read the Bible, he's, not, he's really nothing like that, honestly. 
I'll give you some quick facts about Moses. He lived 120 years. So he had 40 years in, in raised as an Egyptian, and then he was 40 years in the Midian wilderness, and then he was 40 years. You all know this story. He's 40 years in the, the desert after he told Pharaoh, let my people go. He was born a Hebrew, grew up an Egyptian. He had a stutter, actually, the Bible says. He could not speak well. How would you like to do that? How would you like to be the mouthpiece for the Israelites and you can't speak? That's like being the, guy, the designated runner for the American team in the Olympics and you can't run. <laughs> he wrote the Pentateuch, or what we would call the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I mean, God gave him the Ten Commandments. I mean, this is an important dude. But he's nothing like we probably think he is. And I kind of mentioned before, he killed somebody. Like, killed someone. Like, took their life. And I think one of the biggest things I would say that I relate to Moses maybe the most is that I relate to him because he's, he, he, he was really afraid. He dealt with fear. Anybody dealt with fear? Like, willing to admit it? Like, I'm afraid regularly? Okay, good. This will be good for you. Let me give you some just Moses. Let me, with that, with Charlton Heston as my background, let me show you what kind of man Moses was. Exodus chapter 3 says, who am I? He's afraid. I don't know what I'm going to do. He goes on to say in verse three, uh, chapter 3, verse 13, what will I say to them? I don't really know what to say. Verse four, chapter 4, verse 1, what if they won't believe me? Chapter 4, verse 10, I can't speak well. I mean, he's trying to convince God. Y'all see it, right? Has God ever asked you to do something and you're like, yeah, but you don't understand, God. And he's trying to convince him he's the wrong. In fact, he gets so fearful to the point where he goes, look, in verse 13, um, why don't you just send someone else? Isn't there somebody else more qualified for this? And I think if you and I were going to sit, this is, I think, the, the crux of my message. I think if you and I were to sit with, with Moses and he were to go back and talk to you about his life, I hope I get to meet Moses in heaven one day. I, I kind of think I will. I kind of think Moses is going to be around. I kind of, my vision of heaven is Moses chilling at like a, a, like a fire pit with like a cup of coffee. And I can just walk up and ask Moses a question. I think Moses would say this, to abandon fear and embrace faith. Maybe a better way to say it is, um, like in our world, would be like this. would be um, feel the fear, but do it anyway. Like, don't ignore it. Like, I think it's kind of funny when pastors say stuff like, ignore your fear. Like, pretend like it's not there. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You, you, how are you going to ignore fear? Fear is an emotion. It's a feeling that you have. How are you going to ignore it? You can't ignore it. No, I think you should feel it. I think you should recognize it. I think you should understand it. But then do it anyway. Yeah. Why? Because fear exacts a heavy price. It's never free. You and I, whenever we abandon the things in our lives because of fear, it's typically because, man, we're, we're so afraid, and we think, if I do this, if I, if I stop doing this, then what I'm afraid of won't happen. The problem is, is what you're afraid of typically might not happen, but something worse typically does. It's never free. It's never free. I want to give you three costs to your fear today, just to maybe convince you that I think what I think Moses would say to us, three costs to your fear that, that will actually do and what will keep you in your life. Number one is this, fear will keep us trapped in the past. Fear will keep you trapped in the past. 
Moses had a past. He killed an Egyptian, and they hated him for it, and they wanted to kill him for it. And at the end of the day, we all have fears that we have to, we have to overcome. You and I, we have a fear. There's a fear in you. There's, I know it is. There's something there. You don't need to close your eyes and pray about it. You have something right now that you're afraid of, and if you're not careful, that fear will keep you trapped in your past. Maybe you love someone and you got burned. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Maybe you took a risk on a business deal, and it went south. Maybe you prayed. Has anybody done this? This is maybe the hardest and maybe the most relational that you and I could all feel in this entire world. Maybe you prayed and you asked God for something and he didn't answer. And so now you're afraid to ask God for anything again. Maybe you're afraid to get into a relationship again. Maybe you're afraid to take that business deal again. Maybe you're afraid you let your kid do, come on, how many of y'all have done this? You let your kid convince you to do something. Yeah. And then he went and did it. Something bad happened, and then he keeps asking you to do the same kind of ish thing. You know, it's, it doesn't, it's not the exact same, but it's kind of like that. And you're afraid because of something happened in your past. But the truth is, our best future is found pushing through our fear of our past. It's found in not, not, not ignoring it, not pretending like it didn't happen, not pretending like you're not afraid. No, no, I got I to gotta push through it. So I can get to my future. I like what Isaiah chapter 43 says. Forget about what's happened. Like you got to have a short. You know what they say in football um, and most major sports is that if something bad happens on a play, you got to have a short memory. Why do they say that? They say you got to have a short memory. Here's why. Because you can't allow what happened before to dictate and determine what's going to happen now that will ultimately lead you to your future. you got to learn to have short memory. you got to forget the past. And that's what Isaiah is saying. He's saying, you got to forget what's happened. Don't keep going over old history. Be alert. Be present. I'm about to do something brand new. you got to actually be present and in your now. Anxiety and fear, it does something about your... It, it makes you so uh, uh, concerned about what could happen that you miss out on what is happening. And so I'm stuck in the future that has not happened, that could happen, that might happen, but I'm missing out what is happening right in front of me. And Isaiah is saying, you got to forget about what's happened because if you keep going over your history, you're going to miss the present. You're going to miss it. Before you know it, your kids are going to be grown. And some of y'all are like, I can't wait <laughs> till they grown. But I would say, I would say this. I, I think this is true for most things in our life. Most great things in your life happen once you push through your fear. Like some of the greatest things that's ever happened. I was with my son. Um, several, several. That's probably maybe a year ago now, maybe a year and a half. My littlest son. Now, all five of my boys have been taught the, the, the bicycle riding thing by dad. It's a, it's a quintessential Americana thing to do as a dad. And so uh, I'm not the most patient. And so what I tend to do is, um, this is my strategy. You want to hear my, my teaching the bike strategy for my kids? This is not what you should do. I'm just telling you what I do. So I put them on the, I get them all padded up, put them on the bike, and they're like, all right, Dad, what do I do now? And I, Go! And then they go, and then they fall. And what's funny is um, when they fall, every child when he falls doesn't want to do that again. Because what happened in their minds will happen again 
and again. And if there was pain involved, nobody likes pain. And so they're starting to learn how you deal with pain. Y'all know that, right? Kids are not taught that they, most of the time. And, and sometimes because your parents didn't teach you about pain, you had to learn about pain in a weird way. And since you learned about pain in a weird way, oftentimes it had to do with avoidance of that. And you are missing out and have missed out on things in your life because of pain that happened in your past. And so my son falls and he's crying. And I'm like, oh, come here, my son. Hito, come here. <laughs> I pick him up and I hug him and he goes, I'm never riding bike again. So he says, I'm never riding again. He kicks it. I said, oh, no, that ain't how this is going to work. Pick up your bike. No. I said, son, pick up your bike. I don't want to. I'm going to go get mom. I said, go get her. Go get her. She ain't going to help you. Pick up your bike. He goes, okay. So he picks up his bike, and I said, all right, get back on it. Start pedaling. So you got to pedal. I said, you fell because you pedal. He goes, if I pedal, I'm going to fall. I said, or. What do you mean, or? Or you keep going. I said, he goes, but what if I fall? I said, you could. Or. You could keep going. And in his mind, he's got him, he's learned. Y'all he's seeing it? He's learning. Okay, I gotta push through the fear of falling again so that I can potentially do something I've never done before. Okay? So 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 he gets up and he pedals and he falls and he, he cries, he gets the bike, comes, talks to me, yells at me, tells his mom, comes back out, kick, gets up, goes, falls, gets sad. Kicks the bike, yells at me, tells mom, gets the bike, picks up, fall. Y'all see what I'm, it's a, it's a pattern, it's a pattern. I'm running with him, I'm running with him. It's going to happen, it's going to happen. And then, and then, and then, and then, and then, this happens. Pedal, 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 pedal. Pedal, 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 pedal. Pedal hard. Pedal, pedal, pedal. Pedal, 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 pedal. Pedal, 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 pedal hard. Pedal hard, pedal hard, pedal hard, pedal hard, pedal hard, pedal hard. And there you go. Okay, so, okay, 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 okay. So you just witnessed, I gave you a little insight into my, that was my first time my son rode a bike without training wheels. We don't even believe in training wheels, by the way, so we just put them on. Um, that can't happen unless you let go of your past. And fear will keep you trapped in your past. And so what, the question is not what Winnie has to do to ride a bike, it's what you have to do like, what, what is the future success that is not happening because you're afraid of what could happen? Fear, if you let it, will take away all your potential. So I don't know what it is in your life. I mean, I could sit down and talk you through it. But, I mean, like, at the end of the day, you know what it is. You know what you're afraid of. There's something in a relationship that you're afraid of. Maybe you're single right now, and you have not entered into a relationship simply because you're afraid of what will happen. And you're stuck in your past. Maybe there's a business deal you need to say yes to right now. You're a businessman. You're in an organization. You need to go step, you need to step up into that. You know, maybe, maybe it's just getting back into church. Maybe this is the first time you've attended church. By the way, we have new people every weekend. This is a new time you're coming into church, and you're afraid of what happened before. Come on. And you're, you're, you're one step on that bike. Come on. I'm telling you, don't get, don't get trapped in your past because fear will keep you there if you let it. Or you can get to your potential. Number two is this. Fear will, will keep us satisfied with today. 
So if you're not trapped in the past, fear will also keep you satisfied in today. By the way, satisfied is not equal contentment. Because, you know, the Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. I'm not talking about contentment, which is, which is, which is good. I'm talking about complacency. I want to read you the definition of complacency. A feeling of calm satisfaction with your own abilities or situation that prevents you from trying harder. Is there anything more disease-ridden in our culture than that right now? Where we're so satisfied with where we are, we don't try hard. Like a generation of quiet quitters, not just in the corporate world, but in life, where we're just going to do just enough. We don't really need to try hard. I mean, you know what's really bad is when things are good, you don't try harder. And we're in the, maybe the most blessed nation in the history of mankind. It's really easy for it to be good, for you not to try harder, for you, you to get from where you, you are to where you should be, but it's too good to change right now. Some of the best leaders I know, um, they change and adjust when things are great. You and I are conditioned to change when things are bad. I mean, nobody wants to be stuck in pain. Nobody wants to be stuck when things are terrible. I mean, like when stuff is going wrong, everybody wants to change. Nobody wants to change things when things are good. When you up in that lazy boy, <laughs> watching golf on a Sunday afternoon, I mean, there's no reason to get better. But like, think about it. It's those who do great things really are, are they're, they're, they're just not satisfied with where they are. They're content. Don't hear me wrong. They're content. God, thank you for what you've given me. But, but they know there's something on the, on the horizon. And, and I got to be honest, like you, you got to be able to be uh, like have a godly dissatisfaction with where things are. Like just, or, or you see something that is wrong and you're like, I'm good, but that's wrong. And I got to do something about it. I mean, that's what Moses did in Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. It says, one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them in their hard labor. And he saw an Egyptian, being beat, Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. This is Moses who's got it made in the shade, literally. He's in the palace. He lacks for nothing. There's nothing wrong in his life in that era. Y'all hear that, right? Yeah. Like, it wasn't even happening to him. It was happening to someone else. He goes out, chilling with his homies, and he sees injustice, or he sees pain, or he sees something that's wrong. I'm just saying, at some point, we got to get a little bit more dissatisfied than where you are. I mean, look, can I just, let me make a mention of one thing. Have you ever driven a car, and you saw someone on the side of the road? Okay, like a homeless person. Do you know what goes through my head? It's probably what goes through your head. Man, I feel for that person. And then all of a sudden, like things in your mind start to say, you start to war in your mind. Does anybody do that? Where you're like, well, I mean, I should help him. But if I help him, maybe he just buy drugs. Or if I do that, then he's just going to get more alcohol. Or if I do that, it's just going to perpetuate the cycle. Or what are you going to do? It? And you start arguing in your mind. Anybody ever, does anybody do that? Like, or just me. Okay, good. Okay. So, like, I'll see something. 
And I realized in order for me to help that person, I got to stop my car. I mean, I'm busy. They don't know who I am. I was VIP at the Saints Stadium. I, I just wonder if I'm too comfortable. You know? I don't know. That's just stuff I think about. Maybe you're fine. Maybe you help people. and I, you, I, don't, I struggle. I struggle with being too satisfied with where I'm at. Being afraid of what if I do this, what if it will happen. There's so, much, there's so much fear in the world that I can get caught up in it. And I'm like, man, I'm good right now. I'm good. If I, I don't want to rock. Anybody say that? I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to rock the boat. And fear will keep you satisfied with where you are because where you are is actually good. But I wonder, I wonder if God has something more for you that's going to take you stepping outside of your comfort and your satisfaction. Because we can't be satisfied with where we are. We are right now if we're going to get where God wants to take us. So, so there's got to be some type of, there's a, um, I read a, a, an article about like um, great inventors um, and how like inventions tend to come from like people who are just dissatisfied with the norm. And so I read a, a story about the tennis ball hopper. Y'all, y'all, does anybody play tennis in here? Anybody play tennis? Anybody's a tennis people? Good. Tennis is terrible. So I'll show you. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to show you this tennis ball. This is because y'all probably don't know what this is. It's called tennis ball hopper. That's not a tennis ball hopper. Go to the tennis ball hopper. That's a wheel. Okay, there you go. Tennis ball hopper. So this is, this is a ten, they call this a tennis ball hopper. A man named Jake Stapper, who actually was a pretty great athlete, he, he grew up at a tennis ball court picking up tennis balls. And you know how you pick up tennis balls? pick up another. And he hurt his back and he got mad. He was like, man, this is terrible. I got to invent something. So he invents this tennis ball hopper and that just looks like a basket, doesn't it? But at the bottom, there's some wire um, mesh or like bars that are just wide enough to where if you took that ball, that basket, you could go boom and the ball would shoot up into it and would stay in the hopper. And so instead of him bending over, he went over and just yeah, that works good. Oh, I could do this all day, all day. I could do this. He's Captain America before Captain America. I could do this all day. Just boom. And he invented it because he was dissatisfied with what he was doing today so that he can get to his future. The luggage wheel, we showed it before. It kind of took away my surprise element, but that's fine. So the luggage wheel, like, was invented by a man named Bernard Sadeau. And he, you know why he invented it? Because he was tired. Does anybody still have luggage that you carry old school, like that vinyl luggage with the metal? Come on. Does anybody still have that? Okay, we got one, two. I'm talking about the old school luggage where it had the strap, the metal strap you had to like pound on and kick. You know what I mean? And, and, but it never had no wheels, right? So he said he'd walk through the airport and people would be carrying luggage just. And he got tired of it one day and he said, I'm going to invent a wheel. Now, he didn't invent the wheel, but he invented a luggage wheel. And now you go, come on, how many of y'all been to the airport recently? Everybody's got a wheel. Now you got four wheels. You don't have to do nothing. You just push it, you know, and it's awesome. And it came from a man who was dissatisfied with his current condition. I like what the author of the current reality, he said, 50% of inventions come from dissatisfaction with the current reality. 
So I just pray that God would give you and I a holy dissatisfaction with where we are right now. That you're, you're wholly dissatisfied with our country. That you're wholly dissatisfied with our city. That you're wholly dissatisfied with your family. That you have some holy dissatisfaction with your health. You have some holy dissatisfaction with your finances. That you have some holy dissatisfaction with your relationships. That you actually wake up tomorrow going, I gotta do something different. I just gotta do something different because some of y'all stuck picking up tennis balls on the ground in your life. There's a better way, but you gotta be dissatisfied enough to where better happens after moving past your current reality. And the last one is this, and I'm done. Fear will keep you resistant of tomorrow. And most futures in Christ look scary. They look like we can't do it. They look like you're not going to make it. They look like you don't have what it takes. Can I give you a secret? This is just insight from your pastor. Encouraging words this morning. You don't have what it takes. You don't. You got to face the, like, confront the brutal facts, I think is what Jim Collins says. Like, at the end of the day, if you feel like you can't do it, it's because you can't. You're like, well, what's this all for then, pastor? Thanks for that. Without God, you were not created to succeed independent from the Lord. Like, hear that. Please hear that. For those of you trying so hard on your own, please hear this. You're not created to succeed independent from God. You are created as a dependent entity on the creator. You are created. You and I were dependent on our creator to succeed, to win, to get to your future, to get to your purpose. To do. You cannot win at your potential without God. Yeah. Now, you can win. You can get somewhere, but you can't get to where you should be. You can't get to your potential. You can't get to what you were designed to do without your creator. Our godly destiny is bigger than our natural capacity. And some of you have some higher capacity than others, and you could do some great things. Imagine what you could do with God. Imagine what you could do with God. I know sometimes when I look at my life, and I, sometimes fear will make me resistant for tomorrow because I'll think... Um, I don't, maybe you are like this with me. I think a lot. Like God's with me now, but he won't be with me in the future. And I think like that sometimes. I think like, man, I, I'm good now. And, and fear of something that could happen would keep me in the now and it'll keep me resistant to the future. I don't want to try that. I don't want to do that. I don't know. There might be some issues there. And what if God doesn't show up? And I think... Pretty sure God's here now, but I'm not sure God's going to be there. And, and you know, what if, what if shows up? It's like when we moved to this building, you know, I'm like, well, it worked there. Is anybody, was anybody in our old facility across the parking lot? Anybody? Raise your hand if you were there. Y'all remember? Great. Y'all remember. Okay. That was way different than this. It was different. I'm like coming over here and I'm like, well, it worked there, but how do I know it's going to work here? I mean, there's, there's a lot more space and there's flowers on the chandelier and beer signs on the neon sign. I mean, I, what are we going to do? What if people get offended and it's not big enough? And what if people don't show up? I mean, there have been cases where churches go to bigger buildings and they actually shrink. That was a possibility. I'm like, God, you're here. Let's just stay here. Anybody do that? God, you're here. Let's just stay here. I say, I say what Moses says. He said, he said this. He says, chapter four, verse 13. Oh Lord, uh, can you send someone else? Well, no, I want you to go to the bigger building. 
Well, I know, I know, I do too. I think it'd be cool, but there's a lot of potential issues there, and I can control this. Come on, come on. But I can't really control that, and I think God whispers to me, actually, you had no control over that either. But you, you thought, you thought you had control over it, but you didn't have control. So since you didn't have control over that, maybe you don't have control. Why don't you just take a step? If you're not in control in general, you might as well take a risk. And that's the funny thing about life is that it's risky. It's like, in order to step in our future, you're gonna to have to take a risk. Can I just encourage you today? Take a risk. Take a risk. I mean, don't be stupid. Right? Right? Like, don't be, don't be silly. Be calculated. Be prayerful. Be godly. But take a risk. I'm here to encourage you today. Take a step of faith. Not a leap of faith. That's in the movies. Steps of faith are in the Bible. Step. Oh, I'm gonna try this out because I got godly counsel and wisdom around me and I didn't just, you know, feel like I heard. Which, by the way, um, be careful hearing from the Lord. I don't, pastors don't say that a lot, but can I just tell you that? Like, be careful. I heard from God. Hold on. Be, be careful. Just, just, be, just be careful. I'm not saying you didn't. But if you heard from the Lord, you know, what I, you know what I do when I hear from the Lord? I go to my pastors. I go to my leaders. I go to my friends, I go to my family, counsel. I want to walk around, I go to my counselor. Hey, I think, and I don't, I never walk up to them and say, God told me this. I walk up and say, hey, I'm feeling like God's speaking to me right now. What do you think? What does the Bible say as compared to what I'm hearing? And it's good, y'all see what I'm saying? It's wisdom, because if you come to your pastor or your leader and you say, God told me, well, by the way, I work for him, so what am I gonna say? But if you allow me to speak, you take away my voice of wisdom in your life, so you're able to walk up and go, hey, man, I'm gonna, I feel like God's, man, he says, I've had people call me about business, you know, things. I've had people call me about health things, about marriage things, relationship things. And hey, I feel like God's telling me this. What do you think, pastor? Does this line up with scripture? Do you think this is wisdom? Is there a way that I'm not seeing this? Am I just, did I just eat bad pizza? I don't know. You know, like we got to figure this thing out together. Why? So we can take a risk together into the future. Some of the greatest things in life will happen when you move out of your past and not in your present, but, but move past being resistant for the future. Um, my wife, she, uh, I remember the first time she came in and told me she wanted to have uh, babies at home. I was like, why would we have a child at home? if we could have them at the hospital, which everybody does. That seems crazy. And she's like, well, I really feel like I can do it. And I'm like, well, if there's anybody who can do it, because if you've ever met my wife, if there's anybody who can do it, I'm, it's you. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, I don't know if I'm ready for it. You know what I mean? And she's like, what do you have to do with any of this? You know? And I said, what do you mean? I, I, you know, and I started walking through all the problems and being resistant towards the future of what it was. And and yeah, it was a risk, but we had some great moments and great, great memories of our children being born at our home. And, and we, I, I, you know, just some great, great memories. I mean, I wish they were born on her side of the bed instead of mine, but I'm inside, <laughs> can't really control a lot, you know, but, but I mean, she, she had to, well, I had to push through, come on, that moment to not be so resistant to what God's doing. So. Here's your encouragement. Ask that person out on a date. Yeah, make that business deal. 
I commit to serving regularly here at the church. Right, go let your kids try something that seems a little risky, but let them have fun. Like, move, move past your, your fear and into your, your future. As I close, I'll just give you what I think would be final words of encouragement from our friend Moses, Charlton Heston. I think he would say, to live by faith, recognize God is already at work in your life. If you're honest and you look back on your life, God's always been there. Number two, to live by faith, refuse to be defined by anything but God. Um, No one can label you, even you. So even if you feel like you're a failure, you label yourself as a failure, you have no authority to label you. God is the only person who has the authority to label you. He called you great. He called you mighty. He called you the head, not the tail. He called you an overcomer. He called you victorious. You're not a victim. You're victorious. He called you a son. He called you a daughter. He called you family. He called you into your future. He can label you. He, he's, he's already labeled. He's already given you a purpose. He's already given you a title. You can't define yourself. God can define you. The last one is this. is to live by faith. And it, man, it impacts others around you. It impacts others around you. What I find interesting about Moses' faith is that he had to push through all that nonsense in his brain. He wind up leading on the whole nation of Israel out of captivity. It affected his nation. It affected his world. And what people are being affected right now by your fear, that if you got past it, would be affected by your faith. And that's my prayer for you today. In Jesus' name.